Welcome to the next best podcast with your hosts, Chris Cashman. 24 years old, a former sheet metal worker, Mr. America, and twice Mr. Universe. And Chris Daniels. Time Magazine even named him Person of the Century. Now, from the CNC Podcast Factory, here's the next best podcast. Well, here we are again on the next best podcast. Chris, look at us. Only our second show. People are already referring to us as the next best podcast. And we've got a brand new announcer. A brand new voice. Love that guy. In the second week. David Lee coming through in the clutch. Welcome to the next best podcast. Brand new part of the next best podcast. you got to have the best announcer, and we've got him locked up. Uh, Coming up today on the show... Extreme vetting. No, not coming to ESPN. I have extreme vetting in all cases, and I mean extreme. And we're not letting people in if we think there's even a little chance of some problem. Sean Spicer, the new White House press secretary. You know what they say, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. We will talk about his war on Dippin' Dots. And Conan the Librarian. Can you tell me where I can find a book on astronomy? Don't you know the Dewey Decimal System? UW library scenario that has gone viral. We've got the latest YouTube star, although he does not want to be. And we're following the soap opera known as As the Basketball Turns. We'll talk about what the heck is going on with the arena situation in Seattle. Ay, 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 that and so much more. Let's kick things off. David, do your thing. Now, it's the Fast Five. You know, I woke up this morning, the sun was shining, the birds were chirping, I was feeling really good about the world and what's to come, and then I I turned on the replay of ABC's interview by David Muir. I know you're a sophisticated guy. The world is a mess. The world is as angry as it gets. Well, you think this is going to cause a little more anger? The world is an angry place. All of this has happened. Uh, we went into Iraq. We shouldn't have gone into Iraq. We shouldn't have gotten out the way we got out. The world is a total mess. Wow. <laughs> That's straight from the top, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, that is President, President Trump. Trump, if you did not identify that. A captivating interview with David Muir, as uh, we call it in the TV industry, a quick turn where you go, you interview somebody, and it's on that night. So this was uh, not a lot of room for editing or interpretation. It was very raw, and uh, President Trump was full of sound bites that are all headline material. But the doom and gloom was impressive. Yes, and the way he leaned forward to David Muir, who I thought did a great job with asking the questions and, and the questions that were have been on everybody's minds in the first few days of the Trump presidency. Uh, but yeah, as you and I were talking about, uh, the President Donald Trump leaning forward in his seat at times and looking directly yeah. at David Muir and dropping his voice. Very cinematic. The yes. entire thing was right out of Hollywood. I know you're a sophisticated guy. He is not alone in the soundbite department, though. Yes, uh, Sean Spicer, who has been uh, just the press secretary for a few days, got off to, I think everybody admits, a bit of a rough start with his first address to the media last Saturday. This was the largest audience to ever witness an inauguration, period. (laughs) Wow. Period. Uh, I, I think, you know, 
it's a tough job to be a White House press secretary. Everybody who's done it says it's tough. But that was his grand entrance into American life. And that's what everybody saw out of the gates. And immediately what people do is they start looking, who is Sean Spicer? Yeah. They'd start going through his Twitter account. What is Sean Spicer all about? Why is this guy about? so angry? Why is he so angry? And it turns out uh, that, that he's been angry for a while, specifically about Dippin' Dots. Have you heard about this? The treat. The treat. This cute little frozen treat. This cute little frozen tweet. He's been tweeting about it for five years. His war <laughs> on Dippin' Dots. You know, those that little ice cream treat that, that they like to say is the ice cream of the future. Well, on April 7th of 2010, Sean Spicer tweeted, Dippin' Dots is not the ice cream of the future. Oh! In September 2011, he had joined the Republican National Committee as communications director and wrote about it again. I think I have said this before, but Dippin' Dots are not the ice cream of the future. Who is he arguing with exactly? I, he this... might be just arguing with himself. I mean, you'd understand if this was Ben and Jerry's saying, hey, 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 let's divert our attention back to real ice cream, please. But what? The anger seems so misplaced. And there's more of it. And yeah. In, in September of 2015, he, he tweeted, if Dippin' Dots was truly the ice cream of the future, they would not have run out of vanilla. I think he was at a Washington Nationals yeah, game. Yeah, didn't he tag the Nationals yeah, he in that? He wanted to, that would be like there. me tagging the Mariners. Saying, yes. Hey, the vanilla Dippin' Dots need some addressing. <laughs> After you fill out the lineup, then let's focus on the Dippin' Dots. Uh, Dippin' Dots has, has had a good attitude about it. They, they've tweeted about it saying, hey, they'd... They'd love to have another conversation with Sean Spicer, but that's what happens when you make the kind of grand entrance that yeah. he did uh, last week. As you mentioned, all of this with Spicer made us look him up. You saw the Dippin' Dots fiasco, and that made us say, hey, at least one of us is a serious journalist in this room. <laughs> one of the Chris's is. So you wouldn't be doing your job if you didn't dig a little deeper, and that's when we discovered a curious background with Dippin' Dots themselves, a, a little web series CNN does called The Great Big Story, uncovers the curious origins of Dippin' Dots. Dippin' Dots were invented in the 80s, not by an ice cream brand, but by a microbiologist. Curtis Jones specialized in cryogenics. In 1987, he was working for a biotech company in Kentucky, trying to figure out how to make food for farm animals more efficient. His big breakthrough came when he flash froze cattle feed 350 degrees below zero, which produced small pellets. Serendipitously, Curtis loved making ice cream. Mm. Next thing he knew, he was using liquid nitrogen to freeze ice cream at extremely low temperatures and ended up with small beads of it. When eaten, the natural heat of the mouth melted the beads and thus, Dippin' Dots was born. Who knew Dippin' Dots, originally intended for cow feed, worked for ice cream, and now a beloved Certainly at baseball games, that's kind of the treat of choice, right? Yes, I, I, it's a great backstory. I had no idea uh, on the history of Dippin' Dots. I, I just know it's something you get at the ballpark, and the kids are really upset when you don't get them the Dippin' Dots. And they say kids are the future. Kids want Dippin' Dots, therefore Dippin' Dots are the treat of the future. Got that, Spicer? <laughs> I'm going to make sure I tag him on that story. Four, four, four. Next up, Chris, a uh, national story, of course, that's got a local twist. Yeah, the Trump presidency has brought uh, with it 
several protests around the country. Sure. We saw that uh, last week uh, with the Women's March the day before. Uh, there were protests all over the city of Seattle, including one at the University of Washington, which turned serious. There was a shooting there, uh, but there was a funny moment as well. There was a unintentionally entertaining and humorous moment. King Five's Alex Rozier was there during this protest in which uh, a handful of protesters went into the library and decided to make a statement, but they were not expected to be shut down by this man. Here it comes. This is library. <laughs> Boom. Shut down. Very unexpectedly, a man emerges, says, hey, points out, this is the library. And how very Seattle. That, yeah, that's what And that they say. actually stopped protesting. Oh, he's got a great point. Yeah, let's move on. Uh, uh, he has the power, apparently. Uh, yeah, anybody you show that to for the first time, they go, that's the same reaction. That's so Seattle that he was yeah. able to shut down the protesters with that. And, and it's, kudos it's taken off a, a life of its own. To Alex Rozier, yeah. because again, this was his video. He shot it on his phone as they were there with the, the TV camera as well from King 5. But Alex had this piece of video. I remember he showed it to me, I think, before he even posted it. And I said, that's amazing how Seattle that is. Yeah. You've got to put that out there. And uh, once he did, the Internet does what it does all the right people and the wrong people found that clip. It took on a life of its own. Millions of views on numerous different web pages, uh, most of them not giving Alex credit. So I would like to give full credit to <laughs> Alex Rezier, who uh, actually took this video. But we're talking millions and millions of views and even remixes like this one. So this has become a bit of a sensation, and nobody saw this coming, certainly. In a week of mostly sad and tragic news and troubling news, uh, kind of an interesting moment that gave most people a bit of a smile. I told Alex down in the newsroom that uh, I haven't seen that kind of uh, news video go viral since the Roberta Romero tons of effing sequins uh, remix that was done from right. her morning news live shot when uh, somebody walked in uh, and interrupted her uh, live shot, and that was remixed. Uh, it's kind of the same thing, and and really a, a lighthearted moment in the midst of uh, all that chaos at the University of Washington. Once again, all credit goes to Alex <laughs> Rozier. Three, three, three. Chris, you are officially and unofficially the Seattle Supersonics Bureau Chief. So if there is anything related to the Sonics, if anybody even wears green and gold in this city, you are on the beat. What's the latest? Well, I'm a beat reporter for a non-existent building. Right. That, that's what it turns out to be. And and it's, I, I joke that the soap opera, as the basketball turns, it's got another layer to it with Key Arena. Uh, of course, as you know, Chris, Chris Hansen has this deal with the city, has had a deal with the city now uh, since 2012 to build a new arena. Says he now wants to build it privately. He just needs a one-block stretch of Occidental to be vacated, and uh, he can get going on that facility. 
uh, if a team comes. Well, the city, however, says, hey, we have a public asset in Key Arena. We need to see if we can make that the, the spot for a brand new arena. And so they uh, allowed the media to go on essentially a dog and pony show for developers. But there was more media than there were developers walking around Key Arena. It's kind of an open house. Yeah, an right? open house like you would uh, if you're a real estate agent showing off a house. It was that. Yeah. Here's what the kitchen looks like, and here's what the seats look like. Sounds very HGTV. It, it was it was very odd, and I think most of the reporters looked at each other and said, "Why why is the city doing this?" But the city said, "Hey, they're trying to be transparent. They're trying to show what they're doing." You know, the bottom line is those developers had already been through the building, uh, so they were kind of walking through, not saying a whole lot, saying, "Yeah, we've already been working on our plans with with the building," but. Uh, it, it brings up the whole question again about what is going on with this project. It's been 10 years of talk now about where to place an arena, what the best solution is. Uh, and, and Key Arena, uh, a lot of people are quick to point out, has some transportation questions, no matter what you do on that site. If you're outside of the area, you haven't been to a Sonics game back in the day, and you don't even know where Key Arena is, it's right on the outskirts. It's, as they say, in the shadow of the needle. It's right there in the heart of Seattle Center. and it is a busy area without the arena in use, right? Right, and and that's going to be one of the questions is is how can any potential developer mitigate the traffic and transportation issues down there? And and we spoke with a, a couple of people uh, at that or near that open house uh, talking about that, what, what this impact would have on the neighborhood. Something would have to change because you can't have another hundred nights of that happening right now. The traffic strategies you know, surrounding the future of Seattle Center and Key Arena, for that matter, are really key. So, Chris, all of this sounds like what many of us who live around here already know, and that that area is very, very congested, and that the idea of renovating or retrofitting that existing arena would surely create a monstrous traffic nightmare. And, and that, I think, is going to be the deal breaker if a developer comes forward because the city council, I think there is a majority there that just do not want to vacate the street that have heard the complaints from the Port of Seattle. And so they want to they, they, they try and make it work at Seattle Center, but they would, there would be some level of hypocrisy if they greenlight that project without having the transportation issues mitigated. And I think they know that. And that's where the debate will begin when those proposals are due on April 12th. Now, Chris, as a lifelong Sonics fan, I got to say this kind of thing just makes me want to hit my head against this wall numerous times because it's so frustrating to have a guy who wants to build an arena. He's got the money. He's got the friends. He's got the connections. He's got the land. Uh, but it just kind of, it seems like a game of kick the can, which probably kids, you don't know anymore. It's, it's Pokemon <laughs> Go. When we were little, you'd play kick the can. You just kind of keep kicking it further down the street. That seems like what this is. And we could go on and on about that. And I don't have to preach to you who has been doing this for a good decade now. Uh, but once upon a time, this is now dated a couple of years ago. You might have said it was meant to be the CNC Podcast Factory. You and I teamed up once upon a time. We had some fun on TV. And in fact, talked about the untold story of the Sonics departure and that what happened to Squatch. You actually had that exclusive interview. It was exclusive. Well, Squatch, you seem okay now, but I know you've been through some tough times. When did you hit rock bottom? Oh, I, uh, I remember it very clearly. A couple of years ago, knock at the door, a gentleman I don't recognize. <laughs> 
I answer and he says, Mr. Squatch. I shake my head. Uh, I was still doing the whole mascot who doesn't talk thing at that time. Uh, and he says, Mr. Squatch, I'm, I'm sorry. Mr. Squatch, I'm here to repossess your t-shirt cannon. <laughs> so you can imagine. Uh, it's okay. Take your time. I have some water and a banana, if that'll help you out. Banana? That's that's what we have. Yeah. That's why I give everybody. I'm not an ape. <laughs> so, a little fun behind the scenes uh, with Squatch. That's actually from a very fun show I got to do called The 206, and uh, we've actually put that a link to that on our Twitter, and you can see some of that on Instagram if you want. It's actually one of my favorite uh, pieces I ever wrote because uh, I was trying to deal with my pain over the Sonics yeah. and wanted to write something humorous about it. And at that time, I didn't know you. I reached out to you and said, I got, if I'm going to do this and I want to make it look legit, even though it's funny, I got to I gotta reach out to that Chris Daniels guy. He's like, he's like the Sonics guy. So if I could get him to play serious reporter... And I could play Squatch, and for those of you who didn't see it, I have full makeup on, full facial hair, everything. It was a wonderful job that <laughs> my makeup guy, Sean, did. And we came here, and we actually did it at King 5. We, we sat did. down, and we did uh, the interview. Most of the building had no idea what we were doing. They saw <laughs> a lifelike Squatch character walk in. We sat down, we did it. Uh, very funny piece. Who would have ever thought the saga would continue? I think I have done three or four more skits on the Sonics, including... The arena being built, a guy camping out, waiting for the arena to be built. It's a saga that never ends, so we try to have some fun with it when we can, Chris. Yes, we're in year 11. We'll see where the basketball turns ends, and I don't think the end is in sight. If they don't do it soon, it's going to look like Space Jams. We're going to have to get the Sonics on Mars. Two, two, two. Chris, I might officially be the last person, at least in this country, to see Star Wars... Rogue One blockbuster movie. Here's what it sounds like. The world is coming undone. Imperial flags reign across the galaxy. Okay, I'm sorry. I think I played the wrong clip. That must be President Trump, right? Yeah, that sounded a lot like uh, President Trump earlier. No, that is uh, one of the trailers <laughs> for Rogue One. Weird, similar theme there. Uh, so I saw the movie finally because the rest of the planet's talking about it. Even my nine-year-old daughter said, Daddy, we got to go see that. Everybody but us has seen it, so we went and saw it. Uh, spoiler, we know Star Wars fans out there, Spoiler: if you're the only other person who has not seen the movie and you don't want to know anything about it, then I would just skip ahead. Press that skip ahead button. We won't go over any of the plot here, but I will say that one part of the movie really stood out to me, and that was the technology. If you watched the movie already, maybe you didn't even notice, and if you did know this going in, that's okay. But I would imagine most people did not notice that one of the actors in Rogue One was not actually there at all. Not one of the droids, not one of the creatures, a real person. There is a cameo at the very end of the movie, and that's not what I'm referring to. I'm talking about somebody who has numerous speaking lines in the movie repeatedly, was not actually there because he actually passed away in the 90s. In 1994, Peter Cushing is the actor, and uh, he he's a part the, of the dark side. The Imperial Governor. I had no idea watching that movie uh, that, that that was all CGI. It's, it's astonishing. It, it's astonishing the, the level of technology now that allows 
filmmakers to do that. Uh, but he had multiple lines, multiple uh, speaking uh, lines in the movie, uh, multiple scenes, and he hasn't been living for 20 years, 20 plus years. You just can't help but wonder where this technology is going as much as it's interesting and exciting and, and fun that they were able to do this. I know the Fast and the Furious movies had to go through a similar scenario. Uh, and in this case, somebody who's been gone since the 90s, he was a vital part of the storyline. They figured out a way to incorporate him, and that was to digitally recreate him, to take old footage, uh, to get a voice impersonator, and they put it together so masterfully that unless you knew that going in, I don't think anybody would just notice that watching the movie. It, is, it has gotten that good, and I, I would imagine it makes a lot of actors a bit nervous, yeah. quite frankly, on whether or not they're going to be needed. Yeah, I saw it at Cinerama and was watching close, and I, I couldn't tell anything. But I know that there have been these Star Wars super fans who said, oh, I could tell. I could tell by the way his lips were moving that he wasn't really there or knew the backstory. But if you haven't seen uh, the original trilogy from several years ago, from the 70s, uh, you probably have forgotten about this actor, forgotten about Peter Cushing. But yeah, lo and behold, they, they took a another step forward with technology and, and filmmaking with that movie. Flying, flying, flying. Last up, Chris, we love to talk about food because who doesn't? Turns out all humans get hungry. That's, and they uh, do. That's not, a, that's not fake news. That that's, is not uh, fake news. That's the real deal right there. Uh, last week we talked about breakfast pizza at 7-Eleven. I have not gotten over there yet. I haven't had a chance to no. actually uh, do a taste test yet. <laughs> right. <No>. Well, uh, <laughs> leave it to McDonald's to make a splash with their secret sauce. Uh, here's the scoop. Uh, via Buzz 60, ladies and gentlemen. A Big Mac isn't a Big Mac without the special sauce. And if you're a fan of the McDonald's two all-beef patties burger, you might want to invest in some extra sesame seed buns because the burger giant has bottled its goodness and is giving 10,000 lucky customers a chance to go home with a bottle of the special sauce. Okay, so the big story is a promotional effort by McDonald's using social media, giving away 10,000 bottles of their secret sauce. Of the goodness, she said. I guess they call it the special sauce. Not to be confused with Thousand Island. Well, you know, it's, it's funny. It's got to be different than that. Even though it tastes identical <laughs> to the Thousand Island dressing, it surely must, there must be a mixed secret. Uh, you know, it's funny you say that because McDonald's actually had to issue a statement that it's not Thousand Island dressing. Oh. Yeah, Becca Harry. Spokesperson for McDonald's says the Big Mac sauce is unique to McDonald's and includes a classic combination of ingredients. The Big Mac sauce remains timeless and customers around the world continue to enjoy its signature taste. Boy, is that marketing 101. <laughs> timeless. They're calling timeless. it timeless. You know, I, I wish that McDonald's or, or somebody else would come out with fry sauce. Have you ever had fry sauce? I think timeless is the, just fancy for preservatives. Yeah, well, there's that I too. think they mean it won't expire. You don't even need to refrigerate it. Yeah. That's when the alarms go off. Yes, some people might say, hey, this is Thousand Island. Some people might say, mm, fry sauce, ketchup and mayo mixed. How do you make Thousand Island? Add a little relish to that, mix it up. <laughs> spoiler, I should have said spoiler out there. There's somebody that said, what? Is this real life? Like I said, I, I wish that they would package the fry sauce because the fry sauce, it's funny. Uh, I worked in Idaho years ago and you could go to a burger joint and they would give you little packets that said fry sauce on it. And then you cross the border into Washington and you walk into a fast food joint and say, hey, can I have the fry sauce? And the people behind the counter look at you quizzically, fry? Sauce, what are you talking about? 
Yeah. It's easy to laugh at something like this. 10,000 bottles of their special sauce. Maybe you're thinking, who cares? Turns out it is that popular. In fact, in 2015, a bottle of it went for something like $15,000 yeah. on eBay, which yeah. that person should probably be locked up immediately. Clearly, <laughs> clinically insane. But the point is, is it is very popular. McDonald's did the all-day breakfast thing. They're hoping that that would give them a big boost. I don't think it gave them the boost they wanted, so now they're taking the next step, and I think they're hoping that this... Uh, let's get our sauce on the marketplace. It did remind me of... Uh, in, I think the statute of limitations is out, so I can say this. My mother used to swipe the bottles of seasoning salt from Red Robin because we would say, that's the secret. She'd say, Moy, you guys love Red Robin. We'd say, oh, this, these fries are the best. And she'd, well, it's just the, it's just the seasoning that's the best. And so she would just, you know, take one with her in her purse and we would have it at home. Did you guys ever, did you ever take something with you from your favorite restaurant? I know friends who do the same thing at taco time. They will go in and they'll get some of the salsa so they can have it at home. Uh, I think, you know, back in the day when I used to go to the Sizzler, we might have packaged up some salad from the salad bar for another meal because they had so much food laying out there. Now, the next best podcast presents Alternative Facts. See how mild and good tasting a cigarette can be. More doctors smoke camels than any other cigarette. All right, that'll do it for <laughs> us this week. We'll let the announcer carry the freight on our social media. David. On Twitter and Instagram at Next Best Pod. Now, Chris, we're only two episodes in, but I should tell you we have a very exciting and exclusive new ending to our show. I'm ready. This is the exclusive ending of the Next Best Podcast. <laughs>